0: If you would, please stand with me at the reading of God's word, Genesis chapter 13. We're going to go through the whole passage this morning. I want to just tell you before I read it to you that sometimes the point of a passage in Scripture, if that passage is a story, and and this is, sometimes the point is indicated in comparing the characters in the story. In our story... The stakes are really high. The promises of God are at risk yet again. And what I want you to pay attention to, even as I read this, is how Lot, one of the characters, uses his eyes in verse 10, and how the story tells us Abram uses his eyes in verse 14, and the difference between it. Okay, so Genesis 13. We have at the very beginning Abram leaving Egypt and the trial there he comes back with Lot and his wife and lots of riches and he makes his way back to Bethel to worship at an altar. But there he realizes that he has so much livestock and Lot, his nephew, has so much livestock that the land cannot support them living together. And there arises this strife, this argument between Lot's herdsmen over what land they're going to get to, you know, feed the flocks from and, and Abram's herdsmen. So there's a, there's a great argument that, that arises. And this is what it says in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand. Then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand. Then I will go to the left. And Lot. Here it is in verse 10. Lifted up his eyes. And saw. That the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Memrah, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm really relieved to be where we are, when we are. I mean Christmas time. My year-long wait for some of my favorite moments of the year has finally, uh, come to an end stroll and sip. We already got to do that on Thursday night, next Sunday, the nutcracker dance recital. I love basketball season has started for, for the boys. And you may be surprised for me to say that that's exciting to me, but I really do love it. And there is one aspect, um, Of the Christmas season, though, that I could really do without. And that's Dirty Santa. Uh, I mean, that game you play at parties, Dirty Santa. I guess he's dirty. uh, Because right when you pick a gift that you want, someone comes behind you and takes it from you. I never know how to pick in Dirty Santa. I mean, maybe something is really great in the tiny little gift. And, and that huge box over there that everyone's looking at, that could just be a decoy and inside it after you get through box after box, like those little Russian dolls or whatever. You find like a gift card to Target. And I'm telling you, I can't go to Target one more time. <laughs> and you go through all that. And you discover the best gift was hiding in a Dollar General sack. It looked like this person didn't care at all. And there's something amazing inside. Dirty. Dirty Santa. So whenever I'm playing, I just just have to tell myself, don't believe your eyes. That's a pretty good name for this sermon on... Genesis 13, don't believe your eyes. Genesis 13, I don't know if any of you were thinking this whenever I was reading it to you. It, it could be the biblical background to that saying, Mo' money, Mo' problems. Uh, this is how the story is set up. In chapter 12, if you'll remember, Abram was literally heavy with hunger it said there was a great or heavy famine in the land of the promised land well chapter 13 begins with the same language he's now heavy with money the problem is the land that Abram and his nephew Lot are now sharing together it It's not big enough for the two of them. And so in verses 8 and 9. Abram says look we got to split up. But the surprise is. He turns to Lot and he says you pick. Whichever piece of land. You want. You pick. And I'll just take the rest. Now that's tense. Because. Because. Lot could choose whatever he wants. And if he picks the piece of land that God has promised to Abram, we're supposed to understand what's at stake. It is God's very promises. God had promised land. That God's people were going to not only live in, but be Be a blessing to the entire world from this piece of land. So this is a tense story. All of that can be lost depending on what Lot Lot does. Well, the the tension, it resolves around what I pointed out to you, what his eyes do in comparison to what Abram's eyes do. Lot picks what he wants according to what his eyes see. Now that is a good thing for us, that he did that. It's terrible for him. It's good for us for multiple reasons. One thing is that Lot is teaching us a lesson. And that is, seeing is deceiving. You would know that, maybe, just by living in this world that says seeing is believing. Now, Lot teaches us very clearly, seeing is deceiving. If you want God's blessings, you can't just live your life according to what you see. And that's something all y'all need to get with. The passage or the sermon, I, I, want to go, I want to go about it in two different pieces. It's two ways to live in relationship to what we see. So first of all, I want to consider what lurks behind prosperity. What lurks... Behind prosperity. We're going to look first at how Lot uses his eyes. What I want us to see is what is lurking behind the prosperity that he sees. This story is full of drama. It's a really great story. I mean, one of these guys is going to end up with Canaan. The promised lamb. And the other. Is going to end up with Sodom. If you haven't heard of Sodom. Well they've got real estate. Real cheap right now. No one wants to be there. And the drama. Of this story is heightened. When. The man who God had promised all of his promises to. He lets someone else pick what he's going to end up with. Now, that's dramatic. Because everyone knows that the elder in the family... Gets first dibs. And that's not what happens here. I mean, I, I learned that lesson. That lesson was seared into my consciousness when I was a little boy. And one day, I had the nerve to switch my grandfather's TV From the Rangers game to the World Cup. I mean, it only comes around every four years. And I thought, this is just some random baseball game out of the thousand that y'all play every year. Can we watch the World Cup? Mm. Now, my grandfather was normally very gentle. But that day, well, we can use the words of the text. In verse 8, he he did not say to me, let there be no strife between you and me. (laughs) I learned. And Abram is in an even more patriarchal culture than we are. By far. And he's not just handing his nephew the TV clicker. Lot could potentially pick the promised land right out from under Abram. And the deciding moment comes in verse 10 where Lot, notice the text, lifts up his eyes and he sees ultimately that Sodom is... Well watered. Like the Garden of Eden. Okay, I get that. But it's also like the Nile in Egypt. And that's ominous. That's what's appealing. In other words. The way that he makes his pick. Is he uses his eyes. And his eyes promise him. If I pick Sodom. I'll never go hungry. Okay. This is is what we just saw in in chapter 12. The reason they went down to the Nile in Egypt. Was because they were hungry. And he says Sodom. Is like that. He, he, He remembers. The promised land had no food for us. I don't want to go there. Lot picks Sodom because all he can see there is prosperity. And all his eyes see when they see Canaan is poverty. And so the choice is easy for a man like Lot. The problem is, church, and we're supposed to see this even if Lot didn't. There is more in Sodom than what Lot sees. There's something that lurks behind prosperity. And it's right there in verse 13. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now, if you know how the rest of the story goes, which we're all going to see together in a a few chapters, but there's something terrible that lurks behind the prosperity. This week, one of the few elk in our county, if you know we have just a few, uh, This elk was out and about just looking for some prosperity. He jumped a few fences and thought he had found a promising place, good corn, open spaces as far as the eye can see. But what he didn't see, even though he was in the broad daylight, was Dino. With a rifle in his hand. What Lot saw was prosperity, opportunity, professionally. I mean, he's going to become some big rancher down there. He saw protection physically. What we see that he didn't see. Even though it was really obvious. Is what happens when it says in verse 11 that he journeyed east. Well, if we were paying attention to Genesis, we would know. That's the direction God told Cain to go. Whenever he killed his brother and God cursed him. Go east. And we would know. East. Is where those people came from. In chapter 11. Those people who rebelled against God. And God judged them. In Genesis what I'm saying. Is everyone. Who moves east. Goes toward. Destruction. And. The text is. Is. Saying to Lot, don't believe your eyes. Saying to you, don't believe your eyes. Look again in verse 10. Lot made his choice before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's what's coming. To the place he picked. Don't go east in Genesis. Don't go east. I mean, this is this is why I don't even like to stop in Jacksboro to get gas. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't care if they offer you a dream job in the Metroplex. Just think about it. Maybe, maybe that's not exactly the point of this passage, but I just want to stay safe. That The point is this, though. Seeing is deceiving. Seeing is deceiving. And we say things like, uh, there's more than meets the eye. You know, there's more there lurking behind what you can see. We're familiar with the idea of the trick of the eyes. Even in our world, people who don't believe the Lord, they, they understand our eyes can't be trusted. Lean not on your own understanding. Instead of that, listen to God. Listen to God. I mean, remember way back before this, whenever he said, there's one tree whose fruit will kill you. And how our mother Eve, Genesis 3 verse 6 says, saw with her eyes that the tree was good and she ate anyway. The language of chapter 13 verse 10 is God lining Lot up with the foolishness of Eve. In Genesis 3. Now I don't don't think we need to conclude from this. That prosperity is always necessarily a bad thing. I don't think we need to assume from this. That poverty is always to be preferred or something like that. But the truth is you can't just you can't just see prosperity and go toward it. That can't be the way that we make our decisions because right here, God sometimes grants prosperity to people that he's about to destroy. That's who he saw was prosperous, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God granted them prosperity while Canaan at the time was impoverished wasn't it jesus who told us some people in this world who seem to have it all they've got their reward this is all they're going to get because they're about to lose absolutely everything forever so genesis 13 is teaching us look Don't believe what your eyes see. Believe what God says. That's what we have to live on. There are going to be lots of opportunities in your life where what your eyes see will be opposed to what God says. Will cost you what God says. Will make it harder for you to hear what God says. You would be wise to learn. When I got LASIK surgery. You say most of the time pastor aren't you wearing glasses? Yeah because it doesn't take. Okay. It don't last that long. But I am old enough now to have gotten LASIK surgery, and it did work for a spell. When I got LASIK surgery to fix my vision, um, this really experienced doctor who did the surgery said that my eyes were the worst astigmatism he had ever operated on in his life. He didn't think this thing was going to work. Now, astigmatism, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's where your eyes are misshapen. And the warp of your eyes kind of warp what you see. Listen, every person who is born in this world is born with spiritual astigmatism, with warped eyes. This is why you can't believe what your eyes see. Because automatically we have this pull to look at things the way that Eve did in her sin. The way that Lot is doing right now. And, and at the same time, there's this deception at work in it where we are assuming that what we can see we can actually choose that what's best for us according to what we see and it's not true see the devil is still getting his deceptions in us through our eyes don't believe your eyes don't do it because our eyes find independence, more appealing than they should. Your eyes will lead you east, away from God, leaving behind all of God's promises. Beloved, if you trust your eyes, you're going to pick the best conditions for your life, And what you're going to get are the worst chances for eternal life. I mean, just ask Lot's wife. And yet, Genesis 13 is mostly really good news. Because... It teaches us this principle that when the promises of God look like they're in peril, don't believe your eyes. There is something that lurks behind prosperity, but there's also someone who lurks behind God's promises. Point number two. Point number two. I want you to consider who. Lurks behind promises. Genesis 13 is Abram's repentance from the cowardice that we just witnessed in him. Back in that faithless episode of chapter 12 in Egypt. Where he sacrificed his wife for himself. Here we are. And Abram's letting Lot pick his place, and you may think he's still being unbelieving and unfaithful. I don't think he is. I think Abram does this, believing. No, the promises of God are never in peril. One clue as to how we are supposed to view Abram in this episode is that it begins and ends in the same way with him worshiping the Lord at the altar. So, what I'm saying is, faith is surrounding this surprising decision of Abram. I think, I think what's going on here is Abram believes something that we should believe. He believes in God's providence. God's providence. His meticulous supervising of every happening in history. Abram believes God's providence will protect God's promises. Let me put that another way. The picks of man are no problem for the promises of God. And I think he believes this. I think he knows he's leaving with Canaan. He knows God's going to make a way. That he's not going to lose the promises. I think he knows. That the most important person and whether the promises of God. Are going to get to the people of God. Are not the people who hold all the power. In our lives. It is the person who lurks behind the promises. God's standing there behind the promises. And he knows it. And he appears here in verse 14. Just lurking there behind the promises. Is the Lord himself. And he says to Abram. After Lot had separated from him. Lift up your eyes. He lifts up Abram's eyes. This is the difference. Lot used his eyes and he saw what he wanted and he went to take it. The difference is Abram is, is, it's like he's just looking down at the promises, right? And it's the Lord who has to lift up his eyes. Lift up your eyes and look from the place you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. He's clearly comparing the way Lot looks and sees a land that he takes. And, and Abram having his eyes lifted up from the, by the Lord and, and then being able to see this, this land that the Lord is definitely going to give to him. No matter what. In other words, Abram's fate doesn't rest on his actions. The fate of Abram, and the good news is the fate of all God's people, rests in what God says. Look again in in verse 16. At this promise, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, then they could also count all the children I'm going to give you. Seeing is deceiving. But everyone who believes. Will receive what God promises. One of our newer family Christmas traditions is is we'll we'll drive east just for a little bit, you know. <laughs> we we'll I don't know where else Central Market is. So we have to go east just for a smidge, you know, and we anoint one another with oil and we say some novenas and, and then we go into we go into central market just for a, a spell. And uh and we go to the deli and we, we're picking out uh the the charcuterie pieces that we want for Christmas Eve. We go up to the counter and they always give us a taste of what we're gonna get. And so we Get some of that holy cow Swiss cheese. It's unbelievable. That's what the Lord does here for Abram. He gives him a taste of what he's going to get. It says in in verse 17. Walk throughout all this land. Just you see it all. I'm going to give it all to you. And as he's strolling through. The promised land. He's surely kicking up dust. And that dust would preach to him that God promises all that dust. It's meant to tell you, if you can count all of it in all the world, then remember, even though you have no children now, I'm going to give you that many. And what's dramatic about that is dust has a meaning in Genesis. Genesis. I mean, dust is associated with death, not with life. Because of sin, we return to dust. What I'm saying is God can turn even the picture of death into a promise of life. And there's another time when the promises of God seem very much in peril. Later, when a baby, who the New Testament announces to us, this is the son of Abraham. This is the offspring that God's going to give all the promises to and through. When that baby was just a baby and a jealous Jewish king. Doesn't want to give up his throne. And so he sends out his secret service team. To find that baby and kill that baby. When the promises of God look like they're in peril. Don't believe your eyes. God rescues that baby. Takes him down to Egypt of all places. Because out of Egypt he's going to call his son. And then later when powerful men are. The only one with the power to pick. Pontius Pilate. He has all the authority to protect the promised one, Jesus. But he lets the crowd pick. A crowd of unbelieving, ironically, God's people. They get to pick. Whether to let Jesus go. Or... The other option is the murdering thief, Barabbas. And they looked at Jesus and didn't see anything special about him. All their eyes could see was Barabbas somehow was more valuable than Jesus. All these promises of God having a people more numerous than the dust... All these promises that, that the world is waiting upon, any kind of blessings of God, all of it are resting in this one Jesus. And they're all in peril. And this one who we desperately need to bring any blessings, if we're going to be blessed at all, died on a cross. Buried in a tomb. All the blessings seem to have perished. But then, the Lord, he lifts up the eyes of another. The Apostle John. And he he wants him to see what we heard earlier. John says, after this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation. These are the promises. More than you can number, people. All over the world. From every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. These are the promises to to be in the presence of God. Where are they? They're standing before the throne. That's the real land It's to be in God's presence. They're standing before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. And what they're crying out is there's someone who lurks behind all the promises of God. Even when everything your eyes are telling them you are that they are in peril. There's someone there. And they say salvation belongs to our God. It was never in the hands of Lot. It was never in the hands of Abram. It's in the hands of God. And he sits on the throne. And they belong to the Lamb. So here we are. Just sitting in some old skating rink. Long way from Canaan. And if you're like me, you've lived a lot of your life according to your eyes. How often have I, I wonder how often have you, prioritized this life, this week, even over and above, eternal life? I wonder if anyone came in here today and you have realized that really that's the way you've lived all your life. Is looking out for you. And none of what God offers and God himself has not been appealing to your eyes at all until now. But now, all you see is your sin, his holiness, and your believing there. How, how could there be any way God could accept me? Listen, I want to talk to you. Let the Lord lift your eyes to his son. Because what that text told us is there's only one way all the people you can't count ended up there in white. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So bring all your sin, all your disqualification, all your selfishness, all your foolishness, all your God-denying, God-doubting life to the Lamb. And he will wash you white. In 1948, the governor of South Carolina, Strom Thurmond, he, he left the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party was the same party as President Truman. President Truman was doing what Governor Thurmond didn't like. He was fighting for civil rights. And Thurman, he believed that blacks and whites should be segregated from one another. And so someone asks Thurman, well, why would you leave the Democratic Party now? Don't you know that before President Truman, Franklin Roosevelt wanted civil rights as well? And Thurman answered, yeah, but Truman really means it. And we're going to face lots of circumstances In this life when God's promises seem in peril. But we need to keep looking at the one who lurks behind all the promises. Because when he says. That everyone who repents of their sins. And everyone who trusts in my son. Will come to a day where they will hunger no more. And thirst no more. When he says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he says, the lamb in the midst of the throne is their shepherd and he will bring them to me. You need to know he really means it. So, really, you just have to decide. Are you going to live by what your eyes see? Or are you going to live by what God says? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is rich. It is true. We pray that you would make it powerful. That we would base our lives on your promises. And even when our life has moments that are full of tears, we pray that you would make each one of those tears like each particle of dust for Abram. Each of those tears would promise, remind us of the promise that God can take the picture of death and turn it into the promise of life. And he means it. Oh God, we pray that we would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.